0: The following is a paid commercial announcement.
1: Or, in fact, the world ever needed heroes. That time is now. That time is now.
2: Another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast. The official podcast of AquamanShrine.com and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Shag. I'm doing good. See what I did there? I did. I did. That was very clever. In fact, uh, that's a nice little segue. Folks, this is going to be a very special episode of uh, the Fire and Water podcast. And no, I don't mean Alan Thick's going to come out and teach us a lesson in life, but our life lesson. We're going to be talking about a special publication that just came out. We will get back to all the Firestorm and all the Aquaman stuff, all the news, um, Villains Month, all that uh, next episode. But for now, we are going to focus on a book I happen to be holding in my hands titled, Hey Kids Comics. True Life Tales from the Spinner Rack. That sounds like a good book. It does. And right across the front here, it says, Edited and Compiled by Rob Kelly.
0: Yay! Woo!
2: <laughs> it exists, it is real, and it is in people's hands,
3: my Yay! friend. Yay! Never thought it would happen.
2: Congratulations.
3: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much.
2: Well, you know, a lot of the people at home probably don't know a lot about this project, other than what maybe you've mentioned here on the show briefly here or there. I hey, First, tell people at home, what is this book? What what's it contain?
3: Well, it's a, it's a collection of real-life you know, nonfiction essays from uh, various – from people from all walks of life all about how comic books were significant to them in some way. Um, we've got comic book pros writing stories, some TV writers, some authors, some journalists – Comic book bloggers, and then people from from other fields that are not necessarily involved in the, sort of the creative fields or anything like that, um, but they, they all focus in one way or the other on how comic books were significant to them in one way or the other. Um, some of the stories are you know, very funny. Some are sad. Some are just sort of like nostalgic trips through a part of America that is sort of long gone now. And but, but they all you know they all focus one way or another. But but how. Common books changes these people's lives uh, in varying degrees, and it it you know it it was it was the creation of it sprang out of the blog that I started, HeyKidsComics.blogspot.com, uh, and you know I I started that blog back in like '08, some couple of years after the Shrine, and and you know it was it, it was built on you know reader submissions, people sending in stories and. I started getting those stories in, and I was like, "Boy, these are really, really good." Russell Burbage, in particular, would send a whole bunch of stories, and there were a couple of people that were sort of regulars that would would send stories. And I was like, "These are really good and really sort of fascinating." They were more than just, you know, "Hey, I bought this issue with Thor," and it was really cool. I mean, it was—they were like deeper than that. And I thought to myself, "This, this would make a really good book," you know, like th- these stories would make a really good book. And and that's sort of where it started. And it's it's taken a long, long. Long time for the book to, uh, <laughs> book to finally uh, come to become a reality. But, but, but it is here because as you have in your hand, I have it here. It's over to my right as I'm sitting here uh, saying this.
2: Well, tell, if you can, tell people because some people like Chad Bokelman you know, weren't even born when comics were sold <laughs> in convenience stores. Could you tell us uh, where the phrase Hey Kids Comics comes from? Because a lot of people may not even realize the, the relevance of that.
3: Yeah, I mean, the spinner racks or newsstands, you know, again, and that's pretty much a gone thing for the most part in, in, in the world. Is you know That's where comic books used to be displayed, in supermarkets or in Seven Elevens and in convenience stores, drug stores. And they've – on the top of the spinner racks or, or, again, the magazine racks, they would have a phrase sometimes. It would say comics or – you know, some iteration of that, and the most famous version of of that phrase was "Hey kids, comics." That's just, <laughs> that is generally the, what you saw on top of a spinner rack, and that that just sort of became a phrase. I mean, there's a podcast called "Hey Kids Comics." Yes, there uh, is. Right, you know, so, so it's 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 a thing in the culture.
2: By the way, those uh, "Hey Kids Comics" can be found at Two True Freaks. They're friends of ours, sort of uh, right, right. cousins, if you will, cousin podcast. Right. <laughs> I, I just I, I've always loved the phrase. It's so cute, quaint, you know, endearing. It just it reminds me of such an innocent time. And uh, there's an excitement
3: to it. There's a you know, it's like a, a back in a weird way. Not to again, not to put like too much weight behind it, but it's it's like in an era when comic books weren't sold in specialty stores. This was a way of somebody trying to get a kid's attention. You know, if you go into a supermarket and there's candy and there's soda and there's all lots of other things, or even maybe even toys, for kids to look at. Here we're comic book manufacturers trying to get a kid's attention. Hey, kids, comics! You know. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, when when you move over to an industry where it's all done in specialty stores comic book manufacturers don't have to do the hard sell anymore because you're already there. That's why you're in a comic book store because you're there to buy comics. Um, So it's sort of like, you know, you don't, the, the the expectation of the audience's desire is reversed. It's almost like, well, we know you like comics because you're here. So we don't even have to try and sell you anything. And there's a, there's a certain sort of carnival barker type atmosphere that I frankly, I kind of miss, you know, Um, I, again, I wouldn't, I don't think I would trade getting my comics in a, in a, retail in a comic book shop for anything because you know you're you know you'll be able to get what you want to get and and everything else but there is a certain there was a certain um mystery and excitement to buying comics at newsstands that is gone because you never knew what you were going to get you know you didn't know what was going to be there uh and that i always found that you know somewhat exciting and in fact one of the essays in the book by um Robert Greenberger, somebody we've mentioned on the on the show and on the Who's Who shows especially, his name the name of his article of his essay is "The Thrill of the Hunt," and mm. it, it's about finding comics that you were looking for and having to sort of hunt them down because you couldn't always find them in the same spots. And so, you know, that, that that's part of the the DNA of the book.
2: Yeah, there's another one here. Now I've I've read a few of the stories already. So, but uh, we're talked about. Uh, the guy would, as a young man, would have to go to like six different shops right, on the right. way because no one shop carried all his his books.
3: Right. <laughs> yep.
2: Oh, that's great. I
3: remember buying a. Uh, at, sorry, I used to buy them at Seven uh, Comics at Seven Eleven, and I bought. Uh, they had one time they had a Sergeant Fury, and I didn't care much about Sergeant Fury at the time, but I bought it because it was so. Rare that it showed up at Seven Eleven. It, it felt like a, you know, felt like a diamond. Like I was like, ooh, you know, I gotta buy this because I never see. So it's that kind of thing, you know. That that's all kind of washed away once comics, you know, went into specialty stores. But uh, you know, there there is a certain charm to that.
2: I have a frequent personal, if you don't mind me sharing a story, frequent personal reminder of how much things have changed. My my daughter goes to uh, an after school program, and it happens to be across the street. From the convenience store, where I bought my comics growing up. And every once in a while after school, we'll go in there and grab, I don't know, an I.C. or a candy bar or something. And there's this one little tiny rack on the wall, big enough for about six magazines, and it's full of, like, those little junk classified things and a fishing magazine.
3: Oh, right, 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 yeah.
2: And it just breaks my heart knowing that I bought my first comic books, you know, on my own, my own money in this shop. And it just, you know, makes me makes –
3: because me, I'd love for her to buy a comic there. You know, but, right, right, right.
2: Those days are long gone.
3: Yeah, there's a, there's a newsstand a couple towns over um, uh, called the Voorhees, Voorhees, New Jersey. It's called the Voorhees News and Something Shop. It's changed names a bunch of times. But it, it was a comic shop. It was a newsstand that I used to buy comics in from when I was a kid. In fact, I bought Justice like League number 200 there. Um, oh. Yeah. And I, it's that same copy I still have. I still remember buying it. And they still, it's still a newsstand, it's still in business, and they still carry comics. And um, they carry only like tw- 20 titles and, you know, sort of irregularly, but they do carry them. And every time I happen to be in Voorhees, I always stop by and I buy like three or four comics just because I want them to record. That those are being they're still selling them, I don't want them to stop carrying comics, so I'm sort of I, you know I, I i I do it i I'm, I'm in Voorhees like once every two weeks uh, on average, so i every two weeks I stop and I pile them up, and they're sitting here in a little drawer, and I give them out to the various kids I know and and it, I feel like I'm doing my little bit to keep comics at newsstands even in some t- <laughs> tiny tiny way
2: that's great now you said you started the blog in two thousand eight yes, so this is this is five years in. In, wow
3: Yeah uh, I got Like I said I, I had the idea Fairly early on And, and It started very m- Modestly I basically How it started was Once I had the idea I was like Well who can I get Who can I rope into Doing this With me <laughs> And uh, My first instinct As usual Was Copperberg Because <laughs> Poor Paul Poor Paul <laughs> yeah, he's, he, he never should have Befriended me That was a, a g- Giant mistake he made Um <laughs> I joke with Paul that he has been involved with Hey Kids Comics, the book of a 24 hours less than I have been. Um, <laughs> and I, I wrote him and I told him the idea. And um, he immediately wrote back and said, I'm in. He said, I'll do it. I'll do it. And uh, I think a couple of days after that, I wrote J.M. DeMatteis, another one of my heroes. And, and J.M. was very kind and said, yeah, I'll, I'll write something for it. And, and there, that was sort of the nucleus, nucleus of it. You know, I was like, well, wow, I really – you know, I might have something here. And then I just started building it piece by piece by piece. It was, I'll admit, it was very, very hard to get the book off the ground uh, because um, I had done some research and there is no other book like this. Okay. Um, like this out there. There are books that are this format, which are in, in a nonfiction anthology from different writers on a single subject. There's there's a book like this on um, – live theater there's a book like this about movie directors there's a book there's about um daughters playing you know women uh, fathers and daughters playing sports there's a book like this about cats you know i did my research <laughs> of course there's a book about uh, yeah like right, this, right right i mean i did my did my i did my research and but there is no book like this about comics and as i started as the as the book started coalescing into something and i started trying to sell it to publishers I could not get a single one of them to understand what this book was. And they were like, it's a comic book? I'm like, no, it's not a comic book. It's a book with stories about collecting comics and reading. And they just – people looked at me like I was crazy. And I just thought, I don't know. This, this, like, this isn't that groundbreaking an idea really. It's just – and it went through a lot of permutations. I first tried to sell it to some publishers to no avail and then I tried to get a book agent. Um, and I actually landed a book agent very briefly and then that fell through um, and this thing just – I mean I, I managed to land um, a couple uh, – there was one current New York Times best-selling author that I actually got to say yes to me to write a story for the book. And because this book took so long to get finished, he dropped out. Oh. Uh, that was very disappointing because when, when I had him in there, you know, it really opened a lot of doors for me. That's then, cool
2: that you had Mark Twain lined up. I can't I believe that. It was awesome.
3: awesome. <laughs> it's going to take him a while to write the story because he's very, very old. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, it, and and there were times where um, I really thought this is just never going to go anywhere. It's just taking. It's just taking too long. It's I'm getting too many no's. I mean, I had at one point I had someone, I pitched the book to somebody, a small publisher, and they wrote me back and said say to me, you know, I really like the book, I really like this idea, but you don't have big enough names. And this was the advice they gave me. He said, go out and get Neil Gaiman, Kevin Smith, and Michael Chabon, and then come back to us. (laughs) I thought, oh, wow, that's all I have to do, huh? Is get (laughs) one of the most renowned science fiction authors in the world, a movie director, and a winner of the Pulitzer Prize – I just have to get those guys and then you'll take the book from me. Thank you so much, Mr. Publisher. That's a very sweet gesture. You're you're willing you're willing to take that book off my hands? Like, good Lord, you know, these are great songs, kid. Why don't you get the Beatles to record them and then we'll talk? You know what I mean like it was right. that, that kind of advice that just made me very, very frustrated. And like I said, there were times where I really did think that the book was just not gonna go anywhere. Um, but there were there were two two things that, that sort of kept it going. One was, you know, all these stories were written by other people and they were kind enough to write these stories for me out of the goodness of their heart and and their friendship for me and and probably for some other reasons. And, you know, it would have been very disingenuous of me and very, um, I can't think of the other word, but it it would have not have been a nice gesture for me to take the material these people wrote for me and then just abandon it, Mm -hmm. you know? And then there was a point where I really did, I, didn't, I never fully quit on it, but I put it off to the side and just said, I'm just going to let it lay dormant for a while. And then, uh, ironically enough, it was not too long after we started doing the Fire and Water podcast that yeah. I was uh, talking to the audience now, that I was talking to Shag. And Shag just out of the blue said, what are you going to do with Hey Kids Comics? And it was like the first time anybody mentioned it in like six months. And that sort of inspired me to to say, yeah, you know, I really should get back on that again. I really, really should. So I have to thank you for that because it was, you know, I I don't know. You know, you probably could not have realized that it would have been that it was the kick in the ass that it was. But uh, but (laughs) But I I remember
2: the conversation because you were in you were in a very dark period. Some some bad things had happened, some difficult things. And you were feeling down, and I was trying to think of something to help give you a focus. (laughs) So, I mean, it wasn't just a casual comment. I was trying to help you find a focus, something to put some creative juices into. And, um, you know, I'm glad it worked out.
3: It did. I was ready to get it published. And then at one point, uh, I had a major publisher interested in it, a major, major publisher interested in it. And then uh, they took an entire year to decide they didn't want to do it. Uh, thanks for that. And
2: You know you know what? You didn't want Penthouse Forum Publishing. No, writing. I
3: didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, you never know this. I never thought this would happen to me. Uh, <laughs> so and then after that fell through, I decided that's it. I'm doing it on my own. That, you know, I'm just going to just muscle through it and publish it myself. And then right around that time, Crazy 8, which is a an imprint run by Bob Greenberger, Peter David, Michael Jan Friedman, Kupperberg and a couple other guys, stepped in and said, would you like – for this to be part of Crazy 8's imprint, and I thought, well, why not? You know, why not go with them? It's it's it'll have a little more promotion to it. So that's what happened, and uh, that's where we are now. So it is officially a Crazy Eight Press Crazy Eight Press book, and is their first nonfiction title. I think that's great. I mean, again, you you blew through the names. So I mean, think about this, folks. Comic book, you
2: know, pedigrees: Peter David, Michael Jan Friedman, Robert Greenberger. Um, I mean, these are huge, huge names in the world of comics. So I mean, I. I think it's super cool that you're you're tied in with these guys doing this. This is great.
3: Yeah, and like I said, I was very very fortunate. And, and you know, one of the things I, I learned from the from these stories is again, they're very diverse. Some of them are, are very funny. Some are sad. You know, and um, something else I should mention again, I'm sort of just jumping around here, but um, one of the stories is written by a, guy, a gentleman named Tim Neenan, and Tim Neenan is a comedy writer. He writes for Children's Hospital. Uh, he writes for that show, uh, NKSTSTV, you know, that other adult swim show, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can never remember all the initials. Um, but he, he, um, he wrote, he volunteered a story for me. And it was a very, very serious story about his brother and his brother fighting in Afghanistan and how the two of them grew up reading comics together. And it was a tremendous story. It's a tremendous, tremendous story. And... Uh, this other publisher, Saint—I Mar- should say, oh, what the hell, Saint Martin's Press—they were the ones who wanted to do it. Uh, they looked at this proposal that I had, like a forty-page outline that I wrote, which included Tim's story, and they read that and said, "Well, we don't want to publish your book, but we do want to take Tim's story." Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. I mean, and they—they they assumed that all I just wanted was some money, and it was like, "Well, I don't care about that," but they—they they wanted the, Tim's story for this other project that they were doing. And, uh, yeah. And, but I wasn't thrilled with that, but I had to be honest. And I went to Tim and I told him, I said, Tim, you know, there's this other publisher and and St. Martin's press wants your story. And, you know, um, I don't have any right to tell you, you can't give it to them because I don't own it. You own it. I'll say this. I hope you don't go with them. I hope you stay with me, but I understand if you do go with them, because you know I'm offering you an uncertain future about where this book is going to land, and here at St. Martin's Press, you know, guaranteed publication at some point. And after a day or two, Tim wrote me and said, "No, no, no, I'm sticking with you." Mm-hmm. And uh, that meant a lot to me, and it you know significantly helps the book because I, I think it's one of the best stories in there. And again, it was just you know all the faith uh, that these people showed in me. Um, was you know tremendously heartening, and it made me want to see it through, despite all these obstacles. Um, we have, uh, I was fortunate enough, we got a couple of the essayists themselves to read clips from their own essays, and some of them are in their own words. So we're going to do, do a couple of them on the show, so you can just get a little taste of, of what's in the book. The first one we're going to go with is read by uh, Shali Fish, the comic book writer. He wrote, I think, the entire DC Super Friends series. He wrote some issues of um, Batman Brave and the Bold. And he also has been writing the backup strips in Action Comics. So he wrote um, a little story called Hey Kids, Thud... <laughs> uh, which, which will be, on, which will make more sense once you hear it. So we're gonna—he, he, this is just him reading a, c- a couple of minutes out of his story. So uh, you can l- listen to this, enjoy it, and then we'll uh, join you on the other side of it. So this is Sholly Fish reading an excerpt from "Hey Kids Thud."
4: Hi, this is Sholly Fish reading an excerpt from "Hey Kids Thud" in the book "Hey Kids Comics." How much do I love comics? Enough to get hit by a car. It was 1974 and I was 12 years old. I walked into Frank's to see what new comics had come in that week, and I saw IT. The first tabloid-sized Marvel Treasury Edition featuring The Amazing Spider-Man. It was huge, roughly 10 inches by 14 inches, and when I looked at the cover it seemed like the heavens opened and the angels were singing. There was a catch, though. The Treasury Edition carried an equally impressive price tag, a hefty fifty, at a time when comics cost a quarter and DC's 100-page super-spectaculars only cost 50 or 60 cents. Even DC's limited collector's edition tabloids were only a dollar. I didn't walk around with that kind of money in my pocket. There was only one thing to do. I'd have to come back with more money. And soon, because the store only had one copy. So the next day, I grabbed my money and my kid sister, and I headed back to Frank's, bursting with anticipation and hoping that Frank hadn't sold the Treasury edition before I could get there. With every passing second, I became more and more aware that someone else might already be in the store buying it at that precise moment. So you can imagine my frustration when we got to the corner, ready to cross the street, only to find a bus sitting at the bus stop on the corner. Now, being the responsible, safety-minded kid I was, I waited for what must have been a whole, oh, five seconds or so, but the bus still wasn't moving. So I looked in front of the bus. There weren't any cars coming. I looked behind the bus. There weren't any cars coming. I ran past the bus into the street so I could get across before any other cars came by. Naturally, I got hit by a car. The thing I hadn't realized was that although there were no cars in front of the bus and no cars behind the bus, there was a moving car directly on the opposite side of the bus. The car hit me, my sister screamed, I hit the ground in front of the car. Clearly, someone was watching out for me and would continue to do so in years to come on days when I was struck by lightning or had a 2,000-year-old slab of rock fall on me, but, you know, those are different stories. Since the car screeched to a stop as soon as it hit me, I wasn't really hurt, just a little scraped up. My sister screamed. Storekeepers who'd known me since birth poured out of their stores and rushed me to a makeshift triage inside the dry cleaner next to Frank's. I tried to tell them I was fine, but they made me sit down. I assured them I was okay, but they gave me a glass of water. I told them I just wanted to go next door, but they were afraid I'd go into shock. I asked my sister to go buy the Treasury Edition, but she was too busy crying. I looked around to see if Frank was in the crowd, but he hadn't heard the commotion. I promised to come right back if they would just let me run next door and buy a comic book, but they wouldn't hear of it. A few minutes later, a police officer showed up. He took a statement from the tearful young woman who'd been driving the car and then came inside to take my statement, too. I tried to explain that I only wanted to go next door, but he insisted on driving my sister and me home a whole block away in his squad car instead. After the officer took us home, my parents wouldn't let me walk back to Frank's right away. But as we drove into New York to visit my grandparents later that day, my parents made a quick stop at Frank's first so I could finally buy the Treasury edition. It was still there. Now, was it worth getting hit by a car? The first Marvel Treasury edition reprinted Spidey's first face-off with the Green Goblin, his battles with the Hulk and the Human Torch, Lee Ditko feature pages that explained how Spider-Man's powers and webbing worked, and much, much more. The oversized pages made the action pop off of every page. It was totally worth it. No question about it.
2: (laughs) I love that, you know, He's just been hit, and the only thing he can focus on is go back and buying that comic. Yeah, I mean that
3: is just—I mean, <laughs> he said that he was one of the earliest guys that I contacted, and like when I got that story from him, he—he he knew it immediately when I pitched him the book. He was like, "Oh, I have a great story." I'm like, "Okay, you know, I mean, I'll trust you." And then I got it. I'm like, "Oh my god, Ch-, you know, I'm like that's insane!" And the fact that like you know, I have such an obsession with the Treasury comics, it just makes it all the more—you know—I could picture myself going through. That same thing. I, I, I never got hit by a car, but, you know, I could picture Sorry, it. I, I can picture it. I
2: picture that kid, um, Ralphie, from Christmas Story, having that little adventure.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's just <laughs> really – he really does paint his So I love that story. And it, it made a it great it's, – it's the first story in the book. It made a great way to kick off the book. <laughs> um, <laughs> so
2: you, you, we talked about, as you said, that one kicks off the book. Were there any stories that – I mean, obviously there's this one. There's the one about um, – the the sad I guess I don't know if I want to call it sad but the powerful one that you mentioned just a moment ago by I think his name was Tim Is that yeah right? Tim
3: Neen into the field it's called
2: yep um, which by the way I think I read a tweet about that one the other day I was reading a tweet some lady was reading this book and on a train she got to yes. one of the really powerful stories she started crying on the train it's my
3: friend so. my friend saw yeah. yeah
2: oh okay yeah
3: so uh, besides those two
2: you know are there any other stories I mean I'm sure they're all great but are there any other stories that really stood out
3: uh, my friend Doug, my friend Doug Slack, who who did a, a comic for Slave Labor Press back in the '90s called Slacker Comics, and I went to uh, junior. I've known him since junior high. One of my probably my, my single oldest friend. Uh, he wrote a story. Call, <laughs> uh, he wrote a story called "The Comic Book Baron of New Jersey," which is <laughs> about uh, trying to convince his mother to buy him an exp- th- what would be then considered an expensive comic, uh, all of five dollars. <laughs> and um, uh, convinced that it would be quote-unquote valuable someday And it's just a dialogue between him and his mom And how he's trying to convince his mother to, to buy him this book And I, I just think it's an hysterical story Because like, we've all been there We've all had that collector bug at some point in our lives And you just see in retrospect how ridiculous it is And <laughs> for, for me, it makes me laugh every time Because I knew Doug's mother um, okay. and, and I, you know, I used to sleep over at Doug's house, and we spent a lot of time together. So I, I knew Doug's mom, and I can hear her voice when <laughs> I read that story of her hectoring him for <laughs> for wanting to borrow five dollars. And 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 as all good stories like this end, it ends with a real kick in the pants. So I mean, it's that is one of my favorites of of his. And um, but yeah, I mean, they said so they all had their own. One of the things I liked about them was they're all like they they all came at things from a different perspective, which to me is. Really fascinating. You know, they um, – one is – there's another story by a, a, a gaming journalist. He's a journalist. like a sort of pop culture journalist, but he focuses on, on gaming. His name is Evan Narcisse. And Evan talks about uh, – his piece is called Steel Hard Skin. And he talks about the cancellation of Power Man and Iron Fist. And he goes up from the angle of being a black guy, what it was like to, like, read a black-centered comic book, which is still fairly unique at the huh. time. And how, when that book was canceled, it was like a big deal because there weren't that many black superheroes. So, I mean, mm-hmm. like, that that's an angle, of course, I would have no, you know, reference for. And uh, so that's that's something that, that, you know, that sort of tickled me. It's like, hey, I'm getting this viewpoint that I never would ever be able to to have. So, um and then, conversely, something like uh, Paul Kupperberg's Kupperberg's is like a full-on, like mini novella. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the yeah. long, it's the longest piece in the book. It's the centerpiece of the book. It's called an all-star collection of the greatest super stories ever published, and it's all about the eighty-page giants, DC's eighty-page giants. And what I love about this piece is that it weaves back and f- weaves in and out his personal history of buying comics when he was a kid with a blow-by-blow history of this format. And as you, as you well know, you know, I'm a fan of like, different formats in comics. So mm-hmm. um, uh, the, it, the way it uses, does both of those things together is, is really impressive to me. And in fact, we have a clip from Paul. Paul himself read this. Very nice of him to do. So we're going to play this clip. And, and this is Paul Kupperberg talking about the 80-page giants um, in a piece called uh, An All-Star Collection of the Greatest Super Stories Ever Published.
1: I remember Bugs Bunny, I remember the mice and ducks in the Disney comics, and most of all I remember Wonder Woman. I loved Wonder Woman when I was a kid. It was being written by Robert Kanigher and drawn by Ross Andrew and Micah Esposito. The stories were filled with dragons and genies, merboys and bird boys, fairy tale kingdoms everywhere, and the glorious ridiculousness of Wonder Tot and Paradise Island. And then Superman flew into my living room. He came through the television in the form of the classic 1940s Max Fleischer theatrical cartoons on a program called Terry Circus, hosted by ringmaster Claude Kirshner. The half-hour Terry Circus ran every weeknight evening at 7 p.m. on WOR-TV, Channel 9 in New York, after which was my bedtime. Kirshner was my Barney, my Power Rangers, my Transformers, and he introduced me to Superman. Whatever I saw in that show was what my five-year-old imagination took to bed with me. I dreamed in black and white, of old silent farmer brown cartoons and of the Man of Steel. It was an easy and natural shift from the gray-toned figure on our small screen, black-and-white wood cabinet Philco to the blue and red-clad one on the cover of the comic books on Flemmie's magazine stand, the wooden rack up against the wall of the narrow store opposite the soda fountain counter. Comics were, as I said, just ten cents, but only if bought new off the newsstand. Up St. John's Place, towards Ralph Avenue, was a second-hand bookstore owned by a man named Dave Solomon. Dave was a dumpy, egg-shaped fellow with greasy hair and thick glasses, but it was there that my father had bought two-for-a-nickel coverless pulp magazines in his youth, and it was where we now went for for two-for-a-nickel coverless comics. Even I, as bad in math as I remain to this day, could figure out this enabled me to read four times as many comics for the same dime. But there was one exception to the pricing structure. Those were the 25-cent giant, the annuals. Giant. Man, those 80 pages felt as thick as a telephone book in my little hands. And you could turn pages for what seemed like hours and never run out of pages to turn.
2: Yeah, I love the way he describes how, like, the 80-page giant felt as f- thick as a telephone book. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, the part where he says, he, you know, you could turn seem like hours and never run out of pages. That's just, that's so awesome. I mean, that's, that's absolutely how I felt as a kid with those giant, giant comics. You know, and my when I was coming up, I don't think I had many hundred page. Mine, would, you know, if I was lucky, I'd get a sixty four page comic. But it was the same feeling; They just they went on forever, yep. you could read it for days.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I Paul's piece is really. I knew as soon as I got it from him, I'm like, well, this is the center of the book. Where no matter how long the book is, this is going to be the center of it because this is really going to be the big piece of it because it, it's it just it had that weight to it.
2: Well, then you owe it to him for putting up with you. All that,
3: that, I, I do. <laughs> I
0: do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, like you know, you mentioned like Paul. You knew Paul was going to be at the center. You know, you you knew starting off with Shalies was a good one because the if, I, if I'm saying his name right, um, yeah, with right. the car accident. Well, how did you how did you pace out the stories? How did you decide what order to do? And how you know because there had to be a system to that, I imagine.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, initially uh, I got all the stories and I printed them out. I literally printed every one of them out. And I stapled them each individually and I sat and and every night uh, for like a couple of weeks before I went to bed, I went through them all and just read them all over and over again and just started slotting them in in front of each other and seeing how they worked. And I realized that I had a lot more serious stories than I thought I necessarily would have. And I'm like, well, I don't want to clump them all together, but I also don't want, you know what I mean? So I didn't want to, and I also didn't want it to be. Uh, funny, sad, funny, sad, funny, you know, I wanted to have a sort of like, you know, hills and valleys, you know, not that the valleys in a bad sense, but just, you know, you had to start off with some energy and then, you know, and also length too had to be, I didn't want too many long ones right in the front or right in the back. So it was, it just, it it, it had a general, I had to have a general feel. Um, I will say this, there were some other stories written for the book that didn't make it in. Um, and that, that was not a fun email to write to a couple different people telling them their story didn't make the book cause they were nice enough to write it for me. But it was just once I figured out the sequencing and it, I, I just sort of said, I also knew how many pages I had to work with. I couldn't, I couldn't really go past X number of pages, um, for the most part. And there were some stories I'm like, they just don't, there just isn't a place for them in this order that I've got going. And so I had to, to drop a couple of them, not because they were not good; they were really good. And if I ever uh, get around and I'm fortunate enough to do a volume two, they're going to be in that. They're going to be in volume two. Um,
2: Look, you, you don't have to beat around the bush. I understand. My thesis on Brother Power, the Greek geek, I wrote on a napkin with a crayon. Didn't make the cut. I understand. I understand.
3: Uh, well, it's... I'm trying to be nice about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but you know, yeah, so it just it just it really was sort of uh, an organic process. It was like. Okay, when these stories are all put together in this order, do they flow together in a certain way? Yeah, they do. Or, oh, wait a minute, hey, this one sticks out in a weird way. Well, maybe it would be better here. And then um, in terms of how to end it, uh, my friend Chad Nance, who is a journalist, uh, a fairly renowned journalist down in uh, North Carolina, wrote uh, – he's written some stuff for Details and some other magazines. He's mostly a political journalist. Wrote a piece that focused more on his on his son's. And about how he goes comic shopping with his sons, and how his sons are the next generation of comic fans. And that, I, I miss, and and especially with the last line, I'm not going to say it here in the book. Say it here on the show. But when I got his and I read the last couple of lines and how they sort of pointed to the future, I wrote Chad immediately, in and I said, Chad, that's the end of the book. You've written the final story in the book, and that never changed. As soon as I made that decision, and it stayed that way. Um, the, through the entire process. So a lot of these things just sort of sorted themselves out. Gotcha. No,
2: I mean, that sounds like it was a, a, a very difficult process. I mean, that would be so hard to decide the order and the sequence. And like you said, I had to cut, make cuts and the ebbs and the flows. It's um, I don't envy what you had to go through, my friend. <laughs>
3: it was fun. I mean, it was fun. It, it was not not at all hard work. To go through all that because again, I realized I knew what I had. You know what I mean? It's it's no matter how many publishers told me this thing wouldn't work or nobody would want to read this, I knew the material I had, and I was the only one on planet Earth who who who, <laughs> who knew what I had, and I knew that these stories were of exceedingly high quality, and I knew that when you put them together between two covers, it would make a smashing book. And so that's you know again, that was the 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 fire that in my belly, as it were, that, that that kept me wanting to keep doing it because I just like I know people are going to love these stories when they when they when they get to read them. I tell you one thing that adds
2: to my love of it is some of the photos. Now you've got a series of photos throughout the book. You've got some that are you know covers of great comics. Oh my gosh, there's that Secret Origins cover. Oh, so <laughs> good. Um, and there's photos of kids reading comics, and that that kind of became one of your. At least, I, as I understood it, one of your big searches as you were getting ready to publish this book, yeah. you were looking for people to submit photos of themselves with comic books. Right. Now, uh, I'm, I'm just looking at the cover here to start with. There is an amazingly sharp and crisp picture of a kid reading a Shadow comic. Now, is that a legit? Because that is, I mean, that would have to be a really old photo, and it would have to be a really old photo, and it's very, very clear.
3: That, well, yes, that is a real photo. That is, in fact, my dad. Um, that is my dad. You're kidding me. I'm not kidding you. That is my dad circa 1944, I believe, or 43. Um, that is a picture taken by my great uncle, Fred. And, and I say great in both the literal term and that he was my father's uncle, making him my great uncle. And he was also a wonderful guy, lived an amazing life. And I, I, really loved him. And he was a amateur photographer, but as you can see from the picture, he was a crackerjack uh, photographer. I mean, mean, his photos, some of his photos look like they could have been in life magazine. He was so good at composing a picture and making it clear. And uh, this was a picture I never knew existed until about 10 years ago. And we found it in, or I found it in a box of pictures of family photos. And I, I literally, when I saw it, didn't even know that it was my dad. I said, who is this? And my dad's (laughs) like, no, that's me. I'm like, what? Because my dad, was not a comic book guy, you know. Growing up, when I was a kid, I read comics. He had no interest in any of that. I didn't even realize, you know. I mean, like every kid in the '40s read comics. Every well, yeah, kid, everybody did. I mean, the comics sold in the tens of millions. So, you know, it was if you were a kid, you read comic books. But it was just not something my dad ever mentioned. You know, he probably didn't even remember it. He's very old, and uh, so, <laughs> I, you know, I was just like, wow, that. And as soon as I saw that photo, I was like, well, that's the header for the blog. You know, I mean, I could—you know—it couldn't be more perfect. And then once the book became a reality, I'm like, well, that's the cover. That's the cover photo. And I—that was something that through all these permutations of maybe this publisher wants it, this other publisher—I was never—I was not going to bend on that. I was like, that's the cover photo. I, you know, I was like, I was ready to fight tooth and nail. I was ready to <laughs> die on that particular hill with any publisher. I was going to say that is the friggin' cover. I'm not hearing anything else about it. So. You know it never got to that point with anybody, but I was ready to make I was ready for that fight
2: well i don 't think anyone's going to fight you because it 's an amazing photo and it, I really thought it had to be staged or faked or something just because it 's so clear i 'm thinking you know no browning camera could take that, but I mean obviously he did yeah Now, there's yeah. other photos here too um, there's one and, and I, I actually know the story behind this one, so i 'm not going to uh, but there's a picture of a, a guy holding a little girl. And the only reason I know this is because I asked you before we started, because the the photo is credited to Dan Mishkin, uh, who, who's a famous comic book writer. And I looked at it, I'm like, you know, this looks a little bit like Dan. And then uh, I asked you, and sure enough, you, you confirmed it is Dan. And then I realized the little girl is holding a Wonder Woman comic, which is what one of the comics Dan wrote for a number of years. I'm like,
3: oh, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, that, in fact, is Dan. I, I, I saw that picture on his Facebook page. I'm friends with him on Facebook, as you are. And I, I saw that picture, and I said, hey, Dan, this is a book I'm doing. Uh, that's the exactly kind of photo I'm I'm, I'm I want to run in it. Would you mind if I used it? And he very generally said, generous generously said, "Sure, go ahead." So there, it's on the cover.
2: Well, Dan Michigan's been a huge supporter of kids reading comic books. Uh, he's involved in a convention I, I want to say up in Michigan, and um, just really big on. So I mean, this is right up his alley. Yeah, so that's yeah. great. Now there's some little uh, blonde-headed kid here holding an Avengers comic, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, that would be me, circa 1981. I'm very proud of my <laughs> Avengers purchase. Um, we mentioned in the last show that we did, uh, where I told you about mountain comics. You know, where yeah. I was buying. Well, that's that photo was taken in our cabin in the Poconos. Uh, oh. It's in front of the fireplace that we had, and it was. It's one of the mountain comics that I bought at the newsstands in the Poconos in August of 1981. And as you can see, I'm very proud of it.
2: You are very proud my of it. My parents it's are very
3: tolerant, taking all these pictures of me with comic books in my hands.
2: <laughs> I think that's one where Hank Pym's in trouble, if it I is, remember right. It is.
3: Yeah. It is. It's a dark issue. It's one where he slaps around Janet. That's
2: yeah. <laughs> now, there's there's two other photos on the cover here. Is, uh Any stories behind those?
3: Uh, well, the one on the uh, bottom left of the, the the kid in the glasses and the striped T-shirt holding the vintage Captain America comic, that's Paul Copperberg. Oh no way. That's a very young, very young Paul Cupperberg and I believe the photo is was taken by Paul Levitz. Uh, because those guys those guys have known each other since they were 11. Oh my god. So I think I think remember Paul told me that that photo is was taken by either either the photo was taken by Levitz or that comic was Levitz's. One of the two. Stan
2: um, Lee's holding the light. And, uh, and, and Joe Simons over in the corner, you know, getting them a glass of water, right? And, something, oh my gosh. <laughs> something like that. Um, <laughs> right, I made all that part up.
3: But. Yeah, yes. And um, yeah, Will Eisner was off getting coffee. Uh, but, but <laughs> there you that's, 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 that's
2: the punchline I was looking for. Yeah.
3: And then the, the photo on the far right is little Russell Burbage from uh, TNEC, New Jersey. Reading a a uh, one of those collected editions they did in the seventies. This time it's the Secret Origins of DC Superheroes, and I just love that photo. I love how wide-eyed he looked. He's he just it has it's such a hey kids comics look to it, and uh, that was a picture Russell sent in very early in the blog's history. And I always intended to use it, and Russell generously allowed me to to use it in the book.
2: Yeah, he's totally entranced by that book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
3: You can see – you only see a little section of it on the cover, but you can see it uh, in, in, in full regalia on the inside.
2: And, and that's fair to note is, is throughout the book, there are many, many photos of kids with comics and, and those photos on the cover and just interplaced with covers of comics, um, even some goofy-looking kid with a power record. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would be Rob again. Anyway.
3: <laughs> no, no. The power record one? Oh, the one with the big Superman? Isn't that you? Wait, which 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 photo are you talking about? All
2: right, it's right next to Robert Greenberger's.
3: Yeah, no, that is that is Clear uh, sub, Keith G. Baker. Oh, that's right, it is and Keith his, G. And Baker. And his sister, and his, yes. Oh my gosh, I was
2: getting my story, I knew it was somebody I knew, I thought, oh yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: awesome. Yes, Keith, I, I sent out a, uh, a call for photos, and Keith sent that picture of him and his sister. Keith's got a uh, Superman coloring book. And his sister's got a power record, and I was like, i got to use that. So uh, <laughs> thank, thank you very much, Keith, for allowing me to use that. It's a, it's a great, great photo. You know, one of the
2: stories in here is written by a good friend of mine, uh, Erica Peterman. I, don't, I, I, I assume you know this part of it. Eric and I are, are buds. We have lunch together about once a month. We, we used to work together. She is a really, really great, great lady. And I believe there's a picture of her daughter here in yes, the book. Yes, that's that right? a picture
3: of her daughter, yes, in Wonder Woman costume.
2: She's zooming. She's 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 either flying or off to save the day at it's super speed. It's fantastic.
3: Yeah, it's a really, really nice story. It's it's one of the more serious ones. Um we in fact have a, a clip of Erica reading a portion of it and so we're gonna play that right now and uh like I said her the name of her story is Lost and Found.
5: From the age of six I'd collected dozens upon dozens of them. I was an only child at the time and reclusive. Diana Prince, Jughead Jones, Isis, Lil' Jinx, and Betty Cooper were my constant companions, and they fueled my introvert's imagination. They also saved my ass. I had learned to draw reasonably well from studying comic book illustrations, and my ability to recreate Superman on demand for bullies came in handy. It is not an exaggeration to say that comic books became my religion. Kids who hide in closets because the adults are fighting need something to transport them. Some find escape in music, sports, church, or drugs. I found it in the mind-blowing four-color panels of Wonder Woman fighting the Nazis or going toe-to-toe with the cheetah. If she could be strong and fearless, maybe I could too. Since I didn't have the best social skills, it was a joy to spend time with characters who were, and I mean this in the best possible way, predictable and transparent."
2: Erica totally rocks. I mean, she's so cool. I love that story. Like, talking about being a lonely comic book fan, I mean, I think all of us at some point have felt that isolated, you know, in our our fandom.
3: I feel that way now. (laughs) But I'm right here, Rob.
2: (laughs) Well, um, all right, so we've talked a lot about the book. We've talked about how great it is. How can the people, other than breaking into my house and stealing my copy, which I won't be happy about, how can people get their hands on their own?
3: Well, the easiest way for most people is going to be on Amazon. Uh, we will have the link in the show notes and on the blog. Uh, the link is way too long to spell out to all of you here. But basically, <laughs> you just go to Amazon.com and type it, Hick hey Comics, you'll find it. It's also available on Amazon.co.uk, so you can get it in Europe as well. Um, and right now it's on sale, actually. The cover price is $17.99, but Amazon has it on sale for $15.10. Um, so, uh, I hope that's not coming out of my cut, but, uh, I,
2: I, I'd like to say, I would, as far as I know, I was one of the first people to order on Amazon and I paid two bucks more. You were the so. first
3: person, much like you were with Ace Killer, where you were the first person. To so I appreciate that very, very much.
2: I'm like those guys who always want to post in a comment.
3: First. Yeah. First. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we do have, uh, if you go to the Amazon page, um, there is a review. There is only one review so far, um, but it is a really good one and, uh, it's, this whole show is very self-serving for me, obviously, because it's a giant plug. So I'm not ready to go so far as to read the review on my own, so Shag is going to do it, do it for me. So this is the review left by someone who – it's not a plant. This is someone who was not a friend of mine or anybody I knew. They just bought the book and liked it. So, Shag, if you want to go ahead, you can read that. Sure
2: thing. This review is uh, by someone who goes by the handle, hey, buddy, <laughs> which I love. So <clears throat> here we go. There are times when you open a book and find friends that somehow seem to at once be both familiar and new. This is one of those times, and Hey Kids Comics is one of those books. As I read this wonderful anthology, I kept wishing that I knew all of these amazing authors in real life. In the introduction, Rob Kelly describes comics as four color passports to other worlds. What a beautiful truth. He also writes that in art school, he found obsessive comic fans like himself, which was like discovering they were, in fact, other people living on the island he had been shipwrecked on. All right, got to step out for a second. This is Shag. Dude, you hit the nail on the head with that stuff. So that is a great phrase. Thank, Thank you. you. Sorry, back to the review. I can so relate. As a toddler, I carried around my favorite Batman comic until its pages were soft with loving wear. I still have that very comic and many others, not only from my childhood, but those I've collected as a child masquerading as a grown-up that I am. My grandparents gave me a subscription to Donald Duck when I was three years old, before I was even able to read comics were part of my life. As such, I love hearing about the love and passion these authors have for comics. Some stories are so joyful that I read them as quickly as I could. Some stories are so poignant that I lingered over them, not wanting them to end. And some stories are just so fun that I found myself smiling as I read them. Reading each of these stories is like having a childhood best friend to invite into a secret treehouse to conduct a very important detective business. (laughs) The transaction of sharing just how and why comics and their heroes are so exciting and among the best things ever in the world. And somehow, strangely, I don't think you even need to be a fan of comics to love this rare book. Because no matter our lives, our hobbies, or our dreams, we all have them. We all have that special secret story of how something or someone in our childhood showed us that, With a little luck and a lot of love, anything is possible. Rob Kelly is not just in the business of selling comics. He's giving us all a nudge, a wink, and a reminder to remember how you felt when you were little. The days were long and the world was luminous with possibilities. I predict I'll be rereading this anthology and its life-affirming stories many times. Whenever I want to return to a simpler day when I could solve all crimes with my makeshift Bat Utility Belt, when I never doubted my eventual superpowers, and when the good guys really did win. Hey Kids Comics makes me feel a little less alone in the sometimes shipwrecked world. And really, isn't that the very best you can ask of a book?
3: That was a doozy. That's a doozy as a wow. review, yes.
2: You need to get this person to write for the next volume.
3: I, somebody said that to me, too. Yeah, they said that whoever that is should should write a story for, for volume two. I was like, I'm going to consider it. I have now since befriended this person. She's very sweet. And I, I again, this is not somebody I knew. This is just somebody that heard of the book and... Bought it and loved it, so that that made me feel really, really good. Um, there is another brief little review I want to review. I'll, I'll read it. It's from, from Kevin Lauderdale. Um, he has a blog and he's going to and a podcast. He's soon going to be reviewing the book in detail. But this was a brief thing he wrote on Facebook. Uh, this book is so incredibly charming. People say must read in relation to a lot of things. But if you've ever studied the layout of the Wayne Foundation Building or wondered who would win, <laughs> this is for you. Kevin laughed. <So, laughs> um, yeah, we're all we're all, the, we're all those kinds of people. So um, yeah, it, 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 that was very very nice to read those reviews. And we also want to mention uh, a bunch of people have tweeted about the book. Or repeat it, you know, shared it on Facebook. I want to give a couple of shout-outs to those people.
2: Well, um, let me, let me oh. step in. Um, I compiled this list. Now, I apologize. I missed lots of people. This is not our usual fire and water, right. completely thorough research because um, there's, there's a zillion people that have been out there promoting this to social media. So what I compiled was the list of names that, of people I recognize that are regular listeners of this show. Because there's people beyond this show that are out promoting this book, which I think is phenomenal. But these are just folks that we know are, you know, friends. They're nuclear subs that are tied in with this. So these are some of the ones I found. If I didn't find your name out there, I apologize.
3: Yeah, I frequently leave out the hashtags because I'm always bursting at the seams and to the 140-character limit. So I'm (laughs) I'm always (laughs) dropping hashtags to fit in every little bit of detail I can. So anyway, these are just some of the people, as as Shag said. Diablo Frank, Girls Gone Geek. Vanessa Gabriel, who's the other half of Girls Gone Geek, Saranga Comics, Justin Barlow, Jamal Igle, Jimmy McGlinchey, Aquaman Talk, Darren Sutherland, Brian Miller, Christopher J. Warden, Corey Hodgson, Daniel Cynical Adams, Doug Zavisa, Gene Hendricks, Greg Bard, J. David Weider, Jason Jones, Joe Mello, John Godwin, Keith G. Baker, Ken Diemer, Kevin Culp, Luke Dobb, Michael Bailey, Michael Bernstein, Mike Gillis, Professor Alan Milton, Rod Pruitt, Roger Prie, Russell Burbage, Sean M. Myers, Tim Wallace, Andy Capalish, Hector Negrete, Kyle Benning, Glenn Walker, Anthony Durso, Tom Panarese, D.C. Dill, Sean Corey, Mark Sauter, Sean Brock, and, of course, Joe Slab. So thanks, guys. I really, really appreciate um, you know, I mean, this thing is going to live or die by word of mouth. Um, that's, that's how it's going to work. And so every little bit of, of promotion that you give it is going to help you know, make it a success. I mean, you can argue it's already a success and that it exists. Um, I look at that as a success, that that the thing is actually here. I don't – I didn't do this to make money. Uh, I'm not going to make a lot of money. Um, but that's not the point. The, the You know, I've been reading comics since before I could remember their – you know, never not having comics. I, I simply never – you know, don't remember a time where I didn't have comics. And, you know, on some level I wanted to give back the, the – the, Aquaman Shrine is a way of giving back to comics. The podcast is a way of giving back to, to comics. All the obsessive talking and all the thousands of hours I've spent discussing them is a way to give them back, Get back to comics. Hey Kids Comics, as the book, is the ultimate expression of me giving back to a medium that I love so much. I bitch about it a lot, uh, but but nevertheless, I love it and my life wouldn't be the same without comic books. And this book is the is, – is my – most, uh, it's com- uh, the word I'm looking for, Shag. I think this book is the most concentrated way of saying thank you to to comic books. So
2: it's a col- it's a culmination of all is. your comic book geekdom over the in years. In a lot of
3: ways, it is. Yes.
2: And let me just put it in perspective for you here, folks. I mean, we said the book's about fifteen bucks on Amazon. That's the cost of about five comics, right? You know, and five comics nowadays is going to get you a hundred pages of story. This sucker. It's 247 pages. Do the math.
3: 262, actually.
2: So. Oh, Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> so do do the math, folks. This is worth it. Absolutely worth it.
3: Yeah, I mean, like I said, people so far have, have been reading it and they really liked it. So, uh, you know, like I said, it just go out there, talk about it. And if you, you know, if you yourself are out there listening, to, go and buy it. Uh, you know, leave me leave the, the book review on Amazon. Um, you can also get it. I should mention um, you also can get it on Createspace dot com, which is the the digital printer that's printing it. Um, for anybody interested in such things, if you buy it off of Createspace's store, I get a bigger cut than I would from Amazon, but Amazon is fine as well. Either way is is great. Most people use Amazon, of course. There will be a Kindle edition coming. I don't exactly know when it's going to be available, but it will be available relatively soon. So there will be an e-book version of it um, as well. And, you know, I mean, to me, the sky's the limit with this stuff. I want to do an audio book version, you know. Mm. Uh, I really would love to have some people read their own stories. I think this would make a great audio book. It's all a matter of money. It's all a matter of will there be enough attention. I'm going to be doing a series of in-store appearances over the next couple of months in bookstores and comic bookstores that I'm arranging. Uh, we'll let out some. As the details of those become more firm, I'll let let everybody in on those. Um, and I'm going to be hitting a lot of podcasts. So if you kind of listen to the, uh, you know, as part of the Fire and Water family of podcasts that are out there, in terms of all the other guys that do, you may get sick of me. In fact, you probably will, because I'm going to be on those shows talking about Hey Kids Comics, and you may be hearing a lot of the same stories. So for that, I apologize in advance. You know, hitting hitting the 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 the, the press is as hard as I can, because like I said, it is. Totally word of mouth, uh, much like Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, this is, <laughs> this needs to be a. Uh, <laughs> God, this is not how to end a podcast. I want there my to friend. be a movie version starring Charlie Hunnam. Uh, so, you know, you guys, you guys listening, have the power to make this a success. You guys do because that's how it's going to work. I don't have I don't have a publisher behind me using some marketing muscle. It's totally going to be people telling other people, hey, this is a really good book. So if you love comics and you uh, like good stories, this will be the book. Um, Speaking of of good stories, we're going to end with one last clip. This is from my friend Ed Cato. Ed is one of the guys who is behind the the reintroduction of Captain Action to the world. Um, He's also a marketing whiz and he runs his own agency called the Bonfire Agency. And he has a piece called The Weekly Pilgrimage. Um, which, you know, is pretty much what it sounds like. So um, you're going to listen to this clip, and that's going to end the show. Um, I just want to thank everybody for sort of enduring this very uh, (laughs) self-serving episode of the Fire and Water podcast. I appreciate you all listening to it, and I hope that if you go out and buy Hey Hey Kids Comics that you enjoy it.
2: All right, folks, thanks so much for listening, and uh, fan the flame and ride the wave and get yourself a copy of Hey Kids Comics.
3: I agree.
0: We'd arrive at Grandma's after church, and the adults would finish the preparations while my brother and I would watch an Abbott and Costello movie on WPIX. The Sunday morning movie was always an Abbott and Costello movie. I didn't know why they didn't call it Abbott and Costello Theater, but I wish I could have let them know how smart I was to figure it out. My brother and I did have an important role to play in the flurry of activities, as it was our job to carry the soda pop up from the basement. Back in those days, soft drinks were a treat that we could only consume on Sundays. And the Sunday ritual would end in the same way each week, with a trip to Pauline's. Pauline's was one of those little stores called newsstands, but today we'd call it a convenience store. But it wasn't a chain like 7-Eleven. It was literally a mom-and-pop store. It was dark and dingy, with a million different items. Milk, bread, newspapers, and magazines were the staples. Cigarettes, too, upon reflection. One long aisle stretched down the middle, flanked on one side by packaged goods that you might have forgotten at the grocery store, and on the other by a row of coolers packed with frozen treats. And at the aisle's end, beckoning to me like the emerald city called out to Dorothy, was the spinner rack. Aquaman and Firestorm No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice in sea, on land, and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah! One glance is enough to tell you that this boy just got out of school for the day. And why shouldn't he be happy? Until supper time, he can do anything he wants to do. He's free. And he knows exactly how
4: he'll while away the hours. He'll spend a nice, quiet afternoon with a comic book.